0: chapter 9, verse 35, Um, in spite of all of the bodily discharge and fluid and impurity we covered in last week's text, we really had a good time, you know, (laughs) we talked about it at the board meeting Wednesday, like, man, Sunday was awesome, and I said, you didn't remember what I preached, you know, (laughs) it was, it was a good time, and we thank the Lord for every time that he visits us like that, thirty-five. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which is my people from Perry got this morning, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is God's word. Uh, Today is the second of Matthew's five teachings. So Matthew has broken up his gospel into kind of five main teaching sections where where he takes all kinds of of events and and, uh, uh, teachings and phrases of Jesus and, and moves them around and puts them in different spots. So that you can just open up to a section of Matthew and just teach this section because he's gathered. It's not chronological. Is what I'm saying. He's put put stuff in a particular place for per for a purpose, which is really helpful in in a lot of regards, especially in today's text. Okay, so we're going to cover Matthew nine thirty-five through thirty-seven. Uh, but Matthew nine thirty-five to eleven one is one big teaching section, um, and it's great teaching for all disciples of Jesus until he comes, okay? These are things that we can take and apply and give ourselves to uh, until that man comes back, okay? So in that section, we get exhortation, we get instruction, we get encouragement, we get warning, and we get confidence, I think, Um, to faithfully follow and love Jesus with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And that section starts here in Matthew 9, 35. Jesus goes throughout all the villages and cities, teaching in their synagogues, and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, So I'm going to highlight this every time it comes up. When Jesus is proclaiming good news, Okay, gospel is Greek for, for good news. When he's proclaiming the gospel and the good news of the kingdom... Nobody has any question what he's talking about, okay? Jesus doesn't show up and proclaim the good news of the kingdom, and people go, what are you saying, man? That's not happening, okay? In in the minds of the Jewish people, especially in the first century, it's like turned up to 11. The kingdom of God, the the, the kingdom of heaven, the good news about it is, is not a metaphor for heaven, okay? Jesus doesn't proclaim the good news, and people go, can't wait to float out of here. Like, that's... That's not what they're saying. They're not. It's not secret code for the church. Okay, we proclaiming the good news of of the church. It's not a mystical or ethereal. You know, reign of God, whatever. It's not thought of as something that's happening in the hearts of the people. Okay, he's not. Jesus isn't proclaiming that you're gonna f- have good fuzzies inside. Though I'm pro good fuzzies. Okay, love good fuzzies. That's why I liked last Sunday so much. It was like the Lord just sat in the pew with us and was like, "Have some of this," you know, like. I like that. Uh, the kingdom uh, is not a good prayer meeting, though I like a good prayer meeting. That's just not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, Paul, Matthew, whoever, never, ever reimagines what the kingdom of God is, never redefines it, never reinterprets it to mean something different than what the prophets said. The kingdom of God, when Jesus says it, when the apostles proclaim it after, is simply the messianic kingdom of God. Where the anointed son of David rescues Israel from all of her enemies, raises the righteous dead, sits on a throne in Jerusalem, and administers the blessings of all the covenants. Okay? The, the blessing of the covenant to Eve, and Abraham, and David, and Moses, and the prophets, and then gives them to the world and says, here you go. All right, that When they hear kingdom of God, that's what they're thinking. Okay, And so I also want you to notice that Jesus has not, he's proclaiming the gospel here. And he hasn't died on a cross yet. He hasn't risen from the dead yet. But he's proclaiming the gospel. Okay? Isaiah preaches this gospel. John the Baptist preaches this gospel. And Jesus preaches this gospel. Okay? What's the gospel? What's the gospel of the kingdom? God's going to do everything he said he would do. He's going to reign on the earth over all the nations. Okay? So that definition of the kingdom gets changed throughout um, church history. Mostly because... There's so many Gentiles, and we bring in all kinds of stuff too, it and it's fine, you know, whatever. it's We're all kind of groping in the dark on a lot of this stuff. It gets, it gets changed, um, but at this moment in the first century when Jesus preaches the kingdom, there's no confusion. No one's going, what does he mean by this? No, they think, son of David on a throne, ruling all the nations uh, in righteousness, okay? And we're going to talk about that more. Uh, in the spring okay so jesus proclaiming to all the cities all the villages the good news of the gospel of the kingdom and when jesus preaches the good news and when his disciples preach this good news after signs accompany it okay signs affirm that this message about the kingdom this message about the age to come these signs say that's true actually okay they're teaching in the synagogues they're proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom um and they're healing every disease and every affliction Okay, so, we're going to look at this more in Matthew 10 next week, but I just, again, want to point out signs, wonders, miracles, healings, the whole bit, spiritual gifts, they are not the kingdom. Okay? They are not the kingdom. What they are is signs pointing to, to it. Okay? Does that make sense? So, when someone gets healed, we don't say that's the kingdom of God. You know why? Because that person who's healed is going to die again. Right? That's going to happen. What what the healing is, what the sign is, the miracle, the wonder, it's simply a sign to encourage and and breathe life into disciples to affirm that, you know what, the age to come really will will arrive. God is giving us a deposit of that day in this healing, in this miracle, in this tongue, in this interpretation, whatever. It's a picture of that day, all right? So if you are going to um, Dallas, which if you drive on I-35 now, there's no cops, and you can go, like, a hundred and get past. I mean, all uh, you guys go to Perry, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, if you're going not that you should, I'm just saying there's not a lot of highway patrolmen these days. There is on the way to Tulsa, though, so <laughs> don't ask me how I know. Um, you're driving to, you're driving to Dallas, you get to Perry, and you see what? A sign. Does that mean you've arrived in Dallas? No, it's a, it's a sign to say, hey, keep going. And then you get to Oklahoma City and you see another sign. Is, is Oklahoma City Dallas? No, but there's a sign there that says, hey, keep going. Keep, keep on the narrow path. So the, the gospel of the kingdom is meant to be accompanied by signs pointing to that kingdom. Does that make sense? Like that's, that's what's going on here. Okay, so Jesus is preaching the gospel and signs are accompanying that gospel. Those are his actions. That's what he is doing. But what, what's his heart doing? Here, right? Because Jesus is a real man with a real heart, real, real emotions. Verse 36. Here's what his heart is doing. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, as a historical point here, God's people, the tribes of Israel, the tribes of Judah, they are without God-appointed leaders, right? When Jesus comes on the scene in the first century, there's no Moses for them, right? There's no uh, Joshua for them, there's no David for them, no Solomon, no Hezekiah, no Josiah. There's not good leadership for them. Instead, they have who is their king? Well, Herod, right Yeah, Jose, all those. All those great kings from, from David's line, you're like, yes, and then you get Herod, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst it could be, alright, they've got Herod, and then for their religious leaders, they have, they have uh, uh, some good priests, okay, Zechariah is blameless according to the law, a righteous man, but then they've got bad priests, right, they've got uh, the, some Pharisees that are not good, who are uh, working these people for their money, basically, like, can we do that Today, okay, for king they have Herod, for priests and religious leaders they have wolves who lord their position over them and basically just, just take their money. And so into this world of no good leadership in their kingdom comes the good shepherd, right? The tender of their flock, the one who came specifically for, we're going to see it in Matthew 10 and Matthew 15, Jesus says, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel because I'm their king, I'm their shepherd, I'm their lord. He is the compassionate shepherd that they've longed for. Especially if you've got Herod in office, they're like, oh my gosh, this is not what God promised David. This guy, this guy. All right, and so this is, uh, this is in Numbers, you guys are doing your Bible in a year plan, we just got to Numbers, good Lord. All right, <laughs> Numbers uh, 27, you kind of start to get this language, Moses spoke to the Lord, so Moses, he, he doesn't get to enter the promised land, he's got to a point. Someone else. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, over the assembly, over the flock, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Right. Moses is about to die. So they're going to need another shepherd. And so Moses is, is pleading with God. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay, so besides Adam and Eve. He's the only person in the Bible without parents? <laughs> Joshua, the son of none. <laughs> Take Joshua, the son of none, a man in whom is the spirit. The spirit is in Joshua. OK, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Appoint him, anoint him, make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. Okay, so if this is how Joshua is talked about as a shepherd, the one on whom the Spirit rests and who is appointed and commissioned in public, do you see how Jesus is fulfilling this role from Numbers? Is this not what happens at Jesus' baptism? Okay, he goes down, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he's commissioned in the sight of all the people as the anointed Son of God, right? This is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased. And everyone hears it. He's Joshua, okay? And, and Joshua in Hebrews? The Greek is Jesus, right? Okay. Same thing. Um, Ezekiel 34, which I want to read the whole chapter, but we won't. For thus says the Lord God, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered... The Lord says, I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from all the peoples and gather them from all the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. I will feed them a good pasture on the heights of the mountain of Israel. That shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on a rich pasture they shall feed On the mountains of Israel, the Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy, right? The false shepherds who are getting rich off of the people. And I will feed my people in justice, okay? This is, you see, this is the ministry of Jesus. He shows out, he's preaching the gospel. Signs are accompanying it. And in his heart, he's compassionate towards the sheep because they're scattered because they're harassed because they are helpless okay so this is the heart of Jesus then and it's the heart of Jesus now not to cast Israel off but to gather them in that's what Zechariah said I'm going to gather my sheep and I'm going to feed them On the mountains of Israel, Zechariah 10, the people wander like sheep. They're afflicted for lack of a shepherd. The Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back. Why? Because I have compassion on them, on my sheep, on my people, on on the descendants of Abraham that God chose. Right? Um, I have compassion on them, and, and it will be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. So if you're you're reading your Old Old Testament, your Tanakh, over and over, God gathers Israel and then casts them off. And then gathers Israel and casts them off. Just because he spoke, if you do this, this will happen, and then they do it, and then it happens. Okay, Over and over and over and over. But the story the Bible tells, the story Jesus is stepping into, is that though I have scattered you, I will gather you. And it will be as though I have not rejected you. Hallelujah, right? If their rejection means blessing for the Gentiles, Roman 11, Romans 11, how much more will their full inclusion mean but life from the dead? It's a bigger deal, but we'll do that some sometime, okay? So the good shepherd has compassion on these people in the first century. I believe he has this compassion now. And this good shepherd, John 10, is going to lay down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is going to die for them, Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. What, who's Isaiah talking to? Israel, right? <laughs> all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right? And Jesus picks this up after his death and after his resurrection said, yeah, Isaiah 53, here I am. For the Gentiles too. Okay? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Okay? So I just put that. In historical context, because we know there, there's a temporary hardening on Israel. But do not believe the lie that that's how the story ends, okay? That's not how this thing ends. Jesus still has compassion on his lost sheep, and he will gather them in Romans 9, 10, and 11. This is what Paul is saying, okay? So that's what's happening historically. Jesus has compassion he has a a gut level reaction to the harassment that they are enduring and the mistreatment they are enduring and the lostness that they are enduring and he's there to minister to them and later die for them does that make sense my people are scattered like sheep without a shepherd and i have compassion on them okay but that's what's happening historically as a, as a teaching application for us, okay? What do we do with this as Gentiles in 2022? What should we gather from here? Two, two questions I would ask is do we feel this way? Jesus says, I have compassion and, and I gut, gut feeling for the lost sheep of the house of Israel because they're scattered like, like sheep. So two questions. Do we have compassion and anguish towards the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Okay. When you think about Israel and how they have the oracles of God, they've stewarded the oracles of, of God since they were given, and they don't trust in Jesus as the Messiah. Does that bother you at a gut level? Second, and for today's purposes, do we have compassion and anguish for the lost and the harassed and helpless of the whole world? Right? Do we feel this way for Israel, or do we feel this way for the whole whole world? And to be honest, probably not, right? Like, I don't think any of us woke up this morning feeling like Paul, saying, God, I would rather you cut me off and gather them in. God, send me to a lake of fire and not them. Did anyone wake up and think that today? I did not, okay? I did not, and I'm a professional, right? (laughs) That's not that I didn't wake up with anguish over the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I didn't wake up with anguish and compassion today for the loss of Tonkawa. I didn't wake up with tears this morning. I, I woke up and Sierra was sick. So kind of tears. But like I, I didn't have in my guts this, oh God, I don't know if my neighbor knows you. I don't know if homeboy down the street or this restaurant owner or this business. I don't know if they know you. I didn't do that this morning. I didn't, you know, it's just, it's just not going on in, in me. And I think what we draw from here is that what's required for the harvest, based on the model that Jesus gives us here, is real gut-level anguish over people's present state and their eternal state. This is the model, right? He has compassion on them. His heart is moved. Okay, So until it bothers us that people are walking like zombies towards eternal judgment and a lake of fire, we are of little help to Jesus' work of the harvest we're 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 base, basically useless okay we're like if grandpa has three kids working okay my, my grandpa uh been on a farm forever and he would say one boy is good work right two boys is half the work three boys nothing's getting done right that, that that's no work we're like three boys guys Towards God's mission, if, if there's nothing happening here, we're, we're worthless, we're not helpful to the cause, compassion for the lost is required. And the whole point of this section right here is going to say, i have got compassion, proclaiming the good news, signs accompanying it, this is how I feel. The next section, Matthew 10, is Jesus commissioning the twelve to send them out. So he's modeling it here, does that make sense? He's modeling, hey, this has to happen, you have to have this going on before I... Before I send you out. And so I think that Matthew puts this section here to put on display the heart of Jesus. That's going to be necessary for the disciples to emulate. Okay. Here's, here's the model. Now you guys go and do, do likewise. And, and feel likewise even. He's commanding feeling here. He's commanding gut level anguish. And we'll, we'll deal with that more in a second. The, the next thing. I, so first we need compassion. Second I want us to see is that there is a need for workers. There's a need, which is, again, odd to me because I'm reading this and I know who Jesus is and I know what power Jesus has. And I'm like, why are you recruiting anybody? You know, you can do it. You can handle it. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. All right. So he's saying, I'm not going to do this thing alone. The harvest needs more than a few workers. All right. It's going to take more than 12 that he's about to send. It's going to take more than 72 later. Every disciple of Jesus, okay? If you are in here and you are a disciple of Jesus, and you are a worshiper of Jesus, regardless of, of who you are, right? Whatever you know, field you're in or, or your education or occupation or your location or what stage in life you're in, okay? Whether, whether you're you know, about to retire or, or um, you're you know just a, a young person, all of us work. All of us do the work. Okay, everyone is, if you name the name of Jesus and your ambition and your heart is to follow him unto death, that means you work. Again, whether you, you're a teacher, you do construction or whatever, you're a disciple maker. Like, this is what Jesus calls us to. The, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So, labor, <laughs> right? Do, do the thing. And then notice something else here. And Reese, you're going to love this part. That's why I was writing this, I was thinking about, thinking about Reese. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Okay. Jesus says, God says, the harvest is plentiful, which means Jesus is incredibly optimistic about the harvest. (laughs) Does that make sense? Okay. So he says it's plentiful. It's almost as if Jesus knows what John is going to see later in Revelation 7. After this, I look, behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb. Like, this is Jesus' vision of the harvest. Plentiful, big, lots of people. Okay, so let me ask, and again, this was painful to think about this week. If Jesus is optimistic about the harvest being plentiful... Are you, are we optimistic uh, about this, or is our expectation, okay, how we think about consciously or unconsciously, okay, I don't think anyone would consciously think this, but unconsciously we do, is our expectation that the number of disciples in Tonkwa, is it our expectation that it's going to increase or decrease as it has for the last several decades, okay? Is the high point of of, of the gospel going out and doing the work in Tonkwa, is the high point nineteen forty? And every every generation after us is just pining for the good old days. Is that you know what I mean? Like, is that how we think about these things, consciously or unconsciously? Is your assumption that your family member or your neighbor or, or student or whoever has no shot uh, of living a life of repentance and humility towards God, trusting in Him for eternal life, and that they are going to be on a road to destruction all of their days? Is that what you think? Is that how you handle life? And when you think about the harvest, and and maybe in in 10 years or 15 years, because older church people are resilient, they will hold on. Is your expectation that we're going to have an empty metal barn out on the highway? Okay? Because that's a lot of money for an empty metal barn. Is your expectation that that Tonkawa is just going to be empty church buildings dotting the entire town, and and your grandkids are going to drive by and say, wasn't that a church building? Now, they will say it about that, okay, but not because we didn't make disciples because the McIntyres bought it and hopefully put sandwiches here, right? Right, but is that the expectation? Are you thinking like, it's just not going to really work out. We've got a frozen chosen here, and that's it, okay? If that's what you think, if you're thinking about the harvest is that it's not plentiful, stop it. Just do what I say. <laughs> Stop thinking that way, because it's not what Jesus thinks. He says the harvest is is plentiful, and so instead of thinking, you know how. And I'm I am by nature pessimistic. Okay, like I am by nature um, cynical and a little bit of, of a fuddy duddy. Okay, just overall. So stop thinking that way. Instead of thinking that way, think like Jesus and think. Here's what I'm trying to get going in my heart and mind as I'm thinking, okay, we're moving uh, and we're going to be in there on March 20th. And I'm a little worried that we're going to pack it out and have to start more churches. And a human being will sit in that balcony for the first time in 30 years. I'm worried about the balcony holding up. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right? And, and I'm worried that our, our house groups are going to have to keep splitting. We had to split our house group, and it was terrible. I hated it. I mean, I love my house group, but I'm worried about it. Because if the harvest is plentiful, like, this is the net we're using to catch people and our house groups. are going to just have to keep splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting. And I'm trying to think, okay, Lord, if this is how you feel, might 2022 be the year uh, where we start reaping a harvest? Like is this how you thinking? Is 2022 the God-appointed time for a movement of the Spirit in our midst, which causes earnestness to to spread through us and through the church, where we are personally convicted of sin and we're empowered by the Spirit to go out into the harvest as laborers? I think that's what Jesus thinks about it. He says it's plentiful, and so I'm trying to rewire my brain to also think, okay, it's plentiful, but it needs laborers needs us to go and, and do it. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He will have his inheritance. He will have a, a harvest. Okay? He doesn't lie. He's going to do it. Revelation 7 will be reality. A great multitude that no one can number from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. Before the Lamb and before the throne. Right? You guys aren't going to India in vain. There's a plentiful harvest. Right? And in the age to come, there will be a long line of dark-skinned people behind you. That's real. That's real. White people are going to be following us. Dark-skinned people will be following you. So here's the instruction. The harvest is plentiful. That's what Jesus thinks about it. Whether or not you think about it that way, that's how Jesus thinks about it. It needs workers. And it needs workers with guts with with compassion going on here stuff bubbling up so how do we get that right because again it's awesome to say here it is but how do we get it how is this thing getting done okay he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful the labors are few we get that we're well acquainted with that therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest okay so i was just looking at this and and even the things i was just talking about the great commission is an impossible task guys it is impossible absolutely impossible it is not something that you can throw enough money at and get it done you know who has billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars churches god i don't know how much money like the roman catholic church has but it's enough, right? They have so much money. We in Tonkawa, we have so, like we guys. We're four thousand dollars away from having raised one million dollars, which is an imaginary number in my mind. Okay, you can't complete the Great Commission just by throwing dollars at it. We, we appreciate it. We, we it's helpful, but it's not going to get done because we threw enough money at it. You can't just have people read enough books and listen to a, you know the right podcast, and then we'll get done. You know, if everyone just has. Perfect theology, like I do, then we'll get this thing done. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do it. it, it it's it's not enough. You you can't get everything all you know nice and organized. And, and I think there's an unspoken, maybe spoken in some circles, that if we can just get this right in planning center which is the software churches use to do everything. If we can just get this right in Planning Center, or if I can just get this right on my Excel sheet, and if I can just get the music just right, where Rachel hits those chords right at the perfect time, and, and, and Rod is just in we if we can get all of this right, then the Great Commission will get done. That's an unspoken assumption, I think, especially in the western church if i can just get it planned right and jesus is saying and i'm saying and you know this no it won't work it it won't work in this those are all the strength of man right the strength of man and the learning of man and the resourcefulness of man the great commission is an impossible task okay it's impossible but what does jesus say Right. Matthew 19. Rich young ruler comes up to him, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know, and he says, what? And he says, keep the commandments because I've done that. He says, OK, sell everything. Follow me. And then the guy says, "Ah," uh. and he, he walks away. Jesus looked at him and loves him and says this stuff. And the disciples go, oh, my gosh, if that guy can't inherit eternal life, can anyone be saved? And what's Jesus say? He says, yeah, well, with man. It's impossible, but with God, all things are possible, not with Excel. Right? Not with faith life. Not with, you know, fill in the blank. No! With God, all things are possible. So the point Jesus is making, and I'm trying to make, is that it takes the power of God and the Spirit of God to shake us awake for compassion for the lost. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and care about lost people just because you tried hard enough. Okay? It takes the power of God to think differently, to think plentifully about our lost uh, family and friends and neighbors. It takes the power of God to actually go into the harvest and to work. And so in light of the impossibility of it and, and the necessity of God's power to actually do it, what is Jesus' instruction? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are for you. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray. Ask God. So if you're saying, I don't care about the lost... I haven't cried over a lost, you guys, it's been 10 years now, that song, there are tears from the saints for the lost and unsaved. And we'd sing that and it's an awesome song. And the, the awkward thing is we're singing it. It was at Terra Nova. We're singing, there are tears from the saints for the lost and unsaved and nobody's crying. There's no tears. Right, it's an awkward thing churches do where we say, we lift our hands in the sanctuary. All of our hands are here. <laughs> we bow down, we lay our crowns, and we're all standing. You know what I mean? We're singing about these tears we have for lost people, and we don't have any tears. It's like, oh, this is wrong. This isn't right. And so you think, I don't care about the lost. I'm singing tears of the saints, but I don't have any tears. That's not an indictment on you guys, Okay. You're human, and human beings are the worst. (laughs) You're so selfish. You you are, okay? Like, given the opportunity to serve yourself and not serve other people, what do we always do? We always serve ourselves, okay? Like, you, and and you know this if you have a, (laughs) right? So if that is you, and uh, you're singing Tears of the Saints, and you don't have... Tears for the saints. What's Jesus' instruction? Pray to the Lord of the Harvest and ask Him. Right, you just are honest. Say, "Okay, God, I don't have, I, I don't give a rip about the loss. Not really. Not enough to do anything about it. What do you do? You you say you say that, and then you, okay, God, give me your heart for the loss. That's an easy prayer. Anyone can, even if you. Do <laughs> you understand? You know I'm, I'm saying obedience precedes your feelings generally right like i don't feel this god can you give me this can you give me guts for the lost people and my bible says jesus will answer that prayer okay second you you think i don't think my lost family member will will ever follow jesus that's how i feel that's how i think if that is you what's jesus instruction pray to the lord of the harvest okay And, and say god I don't feel this way. My assumption is this person will continue on a path of destruction towards the lake of fire forever, and nothing's going to change that. Instead, say, "God, I don't feel this way," and ask the Lord, "God, would you just burn Revelation seven on my heart, that there will be a great multitude around Your throne, worshiping You, and this family member will be there?" And if you still don't feel it, you pray it again. You pray it again, and you see what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to create something out of thin air. I'm asking you to ask God to give you what you can't create. Okay? If you think there's just not enough workers in the field, the harvest is plentiful, but there's just not enough laborers, what's Jesus' instruction? (laughs) Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field, and then pray it this way, starting with me. Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into the field, and I'll do it too. Oh, all right, that's the irony of this. You ask God for this, and he grabs you and and sends you out, okay? This is what happened to, to Brennan Nehemiah, okay? Um, which I, you know, on a f- in my flesh kind of regret. I said, hey, you guys are in Texas. Go to this church, okay? I like this church. I think they they preach the gospel, and they go. And the preacher that was going to be there uh, wasn't there. It was a, a guest missionary, and, and he gives them the stats on the loss. And, and so they... they They hear the sermon. They listen to the stats. They see the 1040 window, which we're going to show you in a second. And Nehemiah and Brenner are sitting there, and they're thinking, well, that seems pretty bad. Shouldn't someone do something about that? You know what I mean? Like you walk in, and you see a mess at the church, and you go, someone should do something about that. All right? And the Lord says to them, yeah, you guys should do something about that. And Simon, right? Like you pray to the Lord of the harvest. God, someone should do that. And he goes, Alright, you. You'll work. You're just weird enough that it'll work out. Alright? This guy was saying what I'm saying is all of these things. The only this is the only way it works. This is God's rule. God's rule for the harvest is intercession. God's rule for the harvest is prayer. There, you, you're not going to spend your way into it or think your way into it. You only pray your way into it. That's the only way it happens. For the harvest. Okay? And again, the harvest Jesus is talking about is the day of the Lord. right? Matthew 3. He's going to gather right, the, the wheat into the barn, cast out the, the chaff into the fire. Matthew 3.13. He says the harvest is the end of the age. right? For that day, this is what is necessary. We have to pray. And here's, uh, I kind of said this without saying this, here's what else has to happen, guys. We are so messed up. We are so not with it, not <laughs> with the, the Spirit of God. We have to pray for a desire to pray. You know what I mean? Like, we're four steps behind before we can even start the thing. We've got to go, God, I don't even want to pray to the Lord of the Harvest to send out labor, so back here, can you, like, help me pray? And then if you can get to there... And you just do it by obedience, or maybe the Lord gives you that desire. That's awesome, too. And then you pray to the Lord of the harvest, and then you pray to the Lord of the harvest, and then you pray to the Lord of the harvest. And pretty much, pretty soon, you're a in the harvest, and he's sending out more laborers, and the harvest is plentiful, and at the day of the Lord, we can look around and see all these people raised from the dead. I'm like, hey, I remember you. I, I shared the gospel with you, and you looked at me like I was an idiot, and I didn't see you for 30 years. And then at the day of the Lord, we're standing there, and they go, hey, you remember when you shared the gospel with me that one time, and I looked at you like you were an idiot? Well, after we separated, you know, five years later, someone else shared it with me. Again, I still was like, eh. And then my life just totally hit the bottom of a hole, and I didn't have anything else. I didn't have, I had all this money, but I wasn't happy. I had all these relationships, and wasn't happy, whatever. And then it, I was reminded, hey, you remember that person said that thing to me about, I don't know, Jesus died for my sins, so I can live forever, and there's going to be a world without end, and I'm a sinner, and if I just trust in Jesus, I can inherit all those things. That started to sound really, really good to me. And then I went to a church, and they talked about it some more. And then an older guy in the church said, hey, let's talk about this some more. And then, you know what? I believed it. And now here we are around the throne of God. Thank you for that. What a goal to have. You go out into the harvest, okay? So we have the music team come up. So just some practical goals for this, okay? Right? This is is not fully fleshed out, but I wanted to share it anyway. Practical goals for this, okay? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest. This is the instruction from Jesus, how we going to do that practically. First, when we're, look, you already got out of bed today, right? You made it here, Sheldon. You made it here, Sheldon. So happy you're here. You already got out of bed today, okay? You, you put on your clothes. You brushed your teeth. You guys had some donuts over there. Can't wait to clean the chairs this week. <laughs> You had your donuts, you're here, you listen to me rant for 36 minutes, I'm sorry, it was supposed to be 28, but here we are, alright? You listen to me rant, we're already here. So the first practical instruction is this, is that when we are at church, you've already made it here, and it's time to pray, pray. Because you're already here. Right, and so when it's when it's uh when you're hearing the word of God, you're asking, God, burn this on my heart. I don't like this thing, Josh said. I like this though. Burn that on my heart. When we sing, pray. Sing. Okay, like engage. When it's time to pray, pray. When we do our corporate prayer. That's not time for whatever and one person talking. That's all of our hearts engaging. Okay, God, do this thing. And and so funny sometimes, because that's like a special part of our service and we're praying for the food pantry that's always a funny thing to me like we got a room full of people like god we need food pray when the elders come up here pray and if you're not praying with an elder pray in your seat like it's not time the game's not till 5 30 all right when just practically when we gather to pray pray And when your mind starts to go, engage back and say, oh, there it went, and come back, and there it went, and come back. It's easy, practical, okay? We want to devote time in our services to prayer, right? To where someone who doesn't know God is just bored out of their mind, but people who do know God are like, I just want to talk to you, God. Okay? Second, right now we have two prayer meetings a week, um, Tuesday and Thursday mornings. That's at 6.30 a.m. I know not everyone can make that, okay? Like, I I totally understand. That's, that is mostly, uh, that's on our calendar, mostly for me. If it's on the calendar, I know, okay, Josh, I have to go. I have to be there. I have to unlock the door. All right, so that, I mean, anyway, um, if you've been in prayer meetings with me before, uh, you know I'm, I'm, I want those things focused, and so I normally have, like, a list and scriptures to pray over those things. Tuesday and Thursday, I'm not doing that. We've got uh, worship on, and I'm just, like, pacing and crying over here because that's just what my heart needs right now. Now, we will have structured prayer meetings again because I think that's the best way to do it. But Tuesday and Thursday, it's just, like, free-for-all, Helen prayed this Thursday, and the heavens opened, and (laughs) it was, like, awesome. OK, third practical thing um, I would ask you to consider and, and you to talk to the Lord about uh, a 24 hour fast one day a week. OK, don't you don't tell anyone when it is is. We're, we're just saying, God, I want your heart more than I want food. OK, uh, I'm going to work on a time for that um, where, where we do that together. So maybe we pick a day and we'll just gather and pray. Um, over lunch, I, I, again, that's not fleshed out, um, and then fourth thing, which is really not fleshed out, is uh, when we get to the Baptists, when we get to our our new building later, my desire guys, and I think the lord's desire is to have an established prayer room with a, a regular rotation of of people going in and out of that room uh, all different times, praying to the Lord of the harvest, okay so that's a dream that I pick up and put down and pick up and put down and pick up and put down. And, and on this Sunday, I'm just picking it back up again, throw it at the wall, see if it sticks. OK, so here's what's going to happen today. We're going to worship the Lord of the harvest. We're going to put our trust in him. And then Nima and Brenna and I assume Simon, he's attached to you. Um, are going to come and lead our corporate prayer time where we pray. For the harvest and for laborers to be sent out into the harvest. And, and at that time, uh, I'm going to have the elders go ahead and come up uh, with with Brenna and Nehemiah so that we can, if you want to, uh, we want to lay hands on, on you and, and ask you for the heart of Jesus, for a compassionate heart, uh, for the harvest and, and send out as laborers. Okay, 41 minutes. I'm so sorry. All right, let's stand. stand. Holy Spirit, do do your thing. Do what you love to do. In the name of Jesus, everyone said.